She just whispered something. My hands are cold. Um, my wife and I both had COVID about two months ago, so uh, she's not going to get anything from me, and I'm not going to get anything from her. But um, how about, would your mother stand? Um, this is Pat's mom, who's come for her baptism today. <laughs> and uh, you, you taught your daughter well about Jesus. That's, that's wonderful. So, Pat, I just want to mention you. your favorite verse in the Bible is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a wonderful motto, isn't it? That's a wonderful motto. And so I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on, keep on studying, keep on praying. Your, uh, your, your Heavenly Father loves to hear from you. And uh, may you continue to grow. We have this bouquet of flowers here but welcome to membership in the seventh Amish church here and here's your certificate this place where you can sign it on the back as well okay all right well before you go let me have a word of prayer with you again dear father in heaven truly it's wonderful to be part of the family of god we thank you lord for a mother who taught her children about you. May you continue to bless her. Thank you, Lord, for the great teacher called the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he continues to lead. May you be with Pat as she walks hand in hand with her Savior in this life and in the life to come in heaven. Thank you that we have a Savior who's not afar off but nigh at hand in many different ways. And during this time, we pray that we'll look unto you and never stop looking. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if I remember these bright lights last time I was here. Are there new, got new bulbs or something? I, it seems like it's a little... But I still feel like, and those of you who came to my meetings a year and a half ago, uh, I still feel like I'm in the nor uh, in, uh, Northern Peninsula. And uh, so, anyway, I can see some of you. It's good to see you here. I know it's very extenuating circumstances that we're all in here. Actually, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. And when it's going to end, no one knows. But... Um, as a pastor, there's a question. I've asked this of different congregations lately. As a pastor, somewhat retired, although I hate that word, retired. When should you retire? Ministering for Jesus. Never, right? Never stop ministering for Jesus. And so I get asked, or I have gotten asked, and this maybe is just out east, around Boston. Maybe it's not true here in Battle Creek. But over the last eight or ten months, the question I've been asked more than anything else is, do you think this is the closing of time? Do you think what's going on, the pandemic, the riots, the hatred that's exhibited in Washington, D.C., you know, the, all of the natural disasters on the West Coast. By the way, 
when I was in Canada this summer in August, yes, I did get across the border, and that's a story in and of itself, but uh, you could see the effects of the smoke from the west coast all the way up in Nova Scotia, 3,500 miles away. And uh, so natural disasters, what's going on in Washington, D.C., the turmoil, the social injustice, et cetera, et cetera. Pandemic, do you think that this is the end? Do you think Jesus is about to come? I don't know, Pastor, you ever, were you asked that at all? Yes, that seems to be the number one question here, too. Jesus maybe is coming soon. Well, I'm going to interrupt this little illustration to talk to you about Dwight Nelson. Now, some of you know Dwight Nelson, maybe personally, but for those who don't know who Dwight Nelson is, Dwight Nelson is the senior pastor and has been for, what, 72 years at, at Andrews? Now, I can say that. We went to, we went to, we went to seminary together. We're friends. So I, but anyway, um, and uh, Dwight, believe it or not, my wife, about a month ago, as we were traveling along, along in our car, she said, I, I just listened to a... Uh, a sermon by Dwight Nelson. She says, I think you ought to listen to it. So we turned it on, and I listened. And as I listened, I, said, I say to myself, Dwight Nelson stole part of my sermon. <laughs> I said, I don't know if I should sue him or not. Well, I had been asked to speak at a church uh, around Boston about four months ago, and I was already working on my sermon, and it was still, you know, it had been maybe about two months and I, since I'd been asked, and I had about another month to go. And as I'm listening to Dwight, I said to myself, how did he see my notes? I haven't even preached the sermon yet. But sure enough, he was preaching part of my sermon. Because... Dwight, in that particular sermon, said to the congregation and to those who are watching maybe all over the world, you notice when we talk about the soon coming of Jesus, especially for the last eight or ten months, everything that's a sign in our minds is from darkness. Or what I would say, it's a negative. Fires, Pandemic, social unrest, riots, hatred in Washington, D.C., of which has never been seen before except in antebellum days in the United States, the time before the Civil War, where there was tremendous amount of hatred between the abolitionist senators and those who weren't. Where are the positives? I'm asking you that today. Where are the positives in the signs of the times of the coming of Jesus Christ? Can you imagine a hundred years ago, World War I has ensued, World War I has ensued, millions have been killed, then comes along this, what is now not being the Spanish flu anymore, but where, what, 50 million persons around the world died from the Spanish flu. Can you imagine that many people who believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ must have said, he's coming any minute. And here we are a hundred years later, and we're saying the same thing. Oh, with this pandemic and everything else, Jesus must be coming soon. And I say to myself, self, where are the positives? 
where is the light? There's darkness, but where is the light? Well, do you know what? I'm looking at that right now in you. For Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he said to his followers, you are the what? Light of the world. And so today I, I, I want to talk to you about that light. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, as we open your word, pray that uh, we may see what perhaps we haven't seen, but it's there. Thank you for your sweet and wonderful spirit. Again, we thank you for Pat's decision to be baptized. And Lord, may we keep looking up because indeed our salvation is coming. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd invite you to open your Bibles or heat up your gizmo to the, the scripture reading today. And my scripture reading was not entirely uh, those several verses, verses 7 through 9, which may have been read. By the way, while things were going on, I was in the back getting changed, and I was in a hurry to get here. And wouldn't you know it, I was having trouble getting the button closed on my collar. In fact, we almost got into a panic. It took about five minutes. And then, uh, finally, it worked. I'm so thankful for the help. But my wife says, well, why do you keep wearing those button-down shirts? I don't know, maybe just to get her upset? Could be, I don't know. <laughs> but I've been wearing button-down shirts since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. All right, do you have, you have the text? Isaiah chapter 63. And really, what I want to focus on, as, the, as my, the title of my sermon, is our affliction, his affliction. So Isaiah chapter 63, the only part I want to focus on is verse 9, the first line from verse 9. Have you got it? Say amen if you have it. All right. In their affliction, he was afflicted. Now, there's two pronouns there, aren't there? There and he. And he. So those two pronouns are easy to distinguish, by the way, as to who they apply to. But um, I want to work at it from a little different angle. And by the way, the original Hebrew, the Hebrew there, uh, this translation from the New King James or the King James is accurate. It can be applied in a different way in some of the newer translations. But in, in their affliction, he was affliction. Their affliction is talking about the children of Israel, the covenant people, God's covenant people. When they were afflicted, he was afflicted because God and his people are one. Are they not? I'm your God, you're my people. Occasionally he says you know, to Moses, they're your people. But here in a covenant kind of way, he is applying this to his chosen people, the children of Israel. In their affliction, he was afflicted. So we know, don't we, as we read history from the Old Testament, that, that the children of Israel went through all kinds of trouble, all kinds of problems. 
So this tells us that when they were afflicted, he was afflicted because they were as bride and bridegroom, they were as husband and wife. They were one. So when they were afflicted, he was afflicted. Now let me share something with you that is kind of a burden of mine. Um, and that is, if you were to ask the typical Christian today, in whatever denomination, and in Seventh-day Adventist denomination, what is God's ultimate goal with you? What do you think? What do you think that person would say? What is God's ultimate goal? You may, I, I'm asking you. Anybody want to dare to blurt out an answer? What's, all, what's God's ultimate goal with you? Well, Most people would say, and if you don't say that here, this just shows how intelligent you are, Battle Creek. But most people would say his ultimate goal is to get us into heaven and live with us forever. Is that his goal? Well, it is one of his goals, but it's not his ultimate goal because we have a lesson from the Old Testament. Israel was enslaved, they came out of slavery, they went through all kinds of testing and years of turmoil. Finally, after 40 years, they get into the promised land. Now they're in the promised land. They were slaves in Egypt. Now they're in the promised land. But the fact of the matter is, they were just as bad. They were just as ugly, spiritually speaking, as were their captors in Egypt. They were no different than the heathen tribes around them, right? They were cheating. They were lying. They were murdering one another, etc., etc. So God's ultimate goal wasn't just to get them into the promised land. God's ultimate goal was to change them character-wise. And God's ultimate goal with you and me is to change us character-wise. All the truths of the Scripture, the gospel itself, is supposed to have a change in the character of each one who accepts Jesus Christ as personal Savior. So, in their affliction, he was afflicted. Do you think that God, in the middle of this pandemic, is afflicted? He's more afflicted than, than anybody in the universe. He's more afflicted than anybody in the universe. You know, we, we sometimes, when we're in affliction or we're in a challenge, we ask God, we pray, get me through this, get me out of this. And sometimes he does. Sometimes when we're afflicted physically, we pray for healing, God heals us. But I think more often God is trying to say, I am with you in your affliction. And God is the most afflicted one in the universe right now. Because he is seeing the misery, the hurt, the pain that his created beings on planet Earth are having to endure. And he's been afflicted for a long, long time. Long before there was a pandemic. So I would invite you because I'm going to subtly, I'm going to subtly shift gears. Now, the one nice thing I remember, I think I remember this, 
that on Sabbath morning, the Battle Creek Tabernacle, you go until about one o'clock. Is that, is that my memory? You know, it's not as good as it used to be. I, uh, you'll let me go till one, but you won't be here, right? I want to share with you something that I don't think I shared with you when I was here a year and a half ago or this past summer for a couple of days. I want to share with you something about the character of God. And this usually is a sermon that takes about 45 minutes. But if I'm still talking in 45 minutes, my wife will leave. So I don't want to test that. But I'm going to try to reveal character of God as it relates to this particular theme in all their affliction, he was afflicted. What kind of God is up there? Now that's, that sounds like a trivial question. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 4. And I'm going to try to do something which takes 45 minutes and I'm going to try to get it within 10 or 15 minutes, all right? When you're there, say amen. And... I know if I have mentioned this before, and usually I go through my manuscripts before I go someplace and say, well, did I say this there? Well, you know, I don't want to say it again. Revelation chapter 4. You have it? Say amen. Okay. Beginning in verse 1, after these things I looked... John says, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a stardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So... This is a different kind of rainbow than we're used to. This was a rainbow that had the color of an emerald. Now, what color are emeralds? Oh, man, really sharp here. Really, really sharp. Good. That's right, they're green. So what do we know about this rainbow? Well, someone has said that the rainbow reflects the character of God. And I'm paraphrasing that the rainbow reflects the character of God. How so? Well, green. Now, again, I did not go to kindergarten. So you know that old book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? Did anybody remember that book? Ah, uh, you raised your hand, you just showed your age. Because it wasn't yesterday that it came out. But anyway, back about 40 years ago, there was a book said, Everything I Needed to Know in Life I Learned in Kindergarten. I didn't go to kindergarten. So I was so smart, I went right into grade one. I tell you, I was, I'm kidding, of course. But anyway, I didn't really learn my colors. In fact, from time to time, when my wife would leave for work at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and then I wouldn't see her again until like maybe 9 o'clock at night, and she saw what I was wearing, she said, you, you didn't go out with that on, did you? That happened quite often, in fact, because I, I don't know how to combine colors and things of that nature, and so 
Anyway, but I do know that green is not a primary color, is it? Is that true? Oh, you're not sure either, huh? Oh, honey, I've got some others that are in the same category I am. Ah, no, it's not a, it's, it's, it's a combination of two colors. So let's go back to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 24. And I, I learned this about 50 years ago from a well-known Seventh-day Adventist preacher who I can't remember his name now, but anyway, um, interesting. Maybe you've heard this before, but I, I just love it. Are you in Exodus chapter 24? Okay, beginning in verse 9, Then Moses went up also, went up also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and several, 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So they see here God on his throne, and there at the base of his throne is what we might call pavement. And it's the color of what? Come with me. Color of what? Okay, it's the color of sapphire what color is sapphire blue that's right blue rabbinic tradition rabbinic tradition tells us that when God carved his initials when God carved the Ten Commandments on stone it was sapphire stone blue and by the way, you know that, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, that in Numbers 14, that God tells the people, listen, put tassels around the edges, the borders of your garment, and make that blue. And when you look at that, you will remember my Ten Commandments. And we know that Jesus had to rebuke the legalists didn't in his day because what were they doing? They were lengthening the blue, the tassels on the borders of their garments, trying to show how righteous they were, how they were keepers of the law. I find it interesting that when you look up, now, and, and don't be smart here, don't be smart, when you look up at the sky, what color is the sky? Don't, now, don't be smart with me because, you know, you, what, tell me, what's the color of the sky? Blue. Yeah, sometimes it's gray you know, but blue. It's interesting because those commandments are commandments, we're told in, in, in the book of Matthew chapter 22, those commandments are commandments of love. So every time you look up at the sky, you are, you're going to remember that God's love surrounds you. Amen? Amen. Lift up your eyes unto the hills. Well, look even beyond the hills. Look at the sky. When you're discouraged, when you're down, remember that that blue sky represents God's love for you. You cannot, you cannot run from it. And so the law is represented by the color blue. So we've still got one color to go. And if you go to 1 Peter, And when you're there, say amen. Uh, 
I heard one amen, but I take one amen. It's a corporate concept. Take the one and you got them all. Okay. First Peter chapter one, and it says this. Verse, pick it up in verse six. And this you gently, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your faith is symbolized here by what? By gold. And now you're, you, you can't be smart with this. You just will give me the answer. Because what color is gold? It's yellow. And when you mix blue with yellow, what do you get? That's right. So you've got the law and you've got grace through faith combined. And that's why green is such a popular color around us. The grass, the bushes, the trees, etc., etc., all of those which, ref which are green reflect God's righteousness. God's righteousness surrounds you. If somebody here can, can tell me after I'm done, uh, that's true. But I have heard, and I have been able to get, get this verified, that the softest color on your eyes is the color green. Because it represents the character of God. Law and gospel. In fact, I would say that the gospel is the, full, is the law in full bloom. That's why God could be both just and justifier. That's why in a book on the commentary of, the, of Romans by E.J. Wagner, he would say the life of God is the, I'm sorry, the law of God is the life of God. I like that. The law of God is the life of God. And so, go with me now, I think, to my last text. And don't trust a preacher who tells you that, but I'm telling you, this I think is my last text. All right. Revelation chapter 14. Most of you probably don't need to go to the text because you know it by heart. It says there in chapter 14, verse 12, here is the what? Here is the patience of the saints. Here is the endurance of God's people. Here are they that what? Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Those are the people, by the way, who will stand under the rainbow that is described in Revelation chapter 4. Those are the people. Because those people represent the character of God. That's what God is. That rainbow of green reflects the character of God. He is just and justifier. That's what his law is all about. You know what's going on in Washington, D.C. today is not a pretty picture. I don't know how many of us five years ago, ten years ago, whatever, could have ever imagined that it would be unfolding like it has been over the past year, or maybe some people might say four years. 
and laws are passed, decrees are made, signatures are given, and suddenly things change. And what happens is, and by the way, I don't want to get into politics. Wink, wink. Not really. But it's amazing how just a signature can change the policy for four years within minutes after the person is sworn in as the new president. By the way, I've come up with a slogan that I need to remember. Politics divides, but the gospel unites. And I tell you, I worry about some of the things that I see on Facebook written by Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and you say, ooh, that divides more than it unites. Don't make princes your what, we're told? Your savior. Keep looking unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of what? Your faith. And so those laws, those decrees that are made are, are so quickly reversing something, but many of them, many of them are new decrees. It didn't just happen, you know, the last week or two. It's been going on for who knows how long. Many of those things are a matter of revenge and vengeful. God's law is not like that. God's law is full of mercy. Amen? He's just and justifier. His law is full of mercy. It's not so much law and mercy, it is his law is full of mercy. Because his law is full of Jesus Christ. When I was a senior in academy, and that was not a fortnight or two ago, I remember that the, 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 the principal, Richard Hammond, who was a legend, he was principal for about 27 years. He, he told a story one time that came from antebellum days. And the story went like this. One day, Senator Sumner, an abolitionist from the great state of Massachusetts. Sorry, I had to put that in. Just Massachusetts, if you want. He's walking along. It's wintertime. He's, he's there in Washington, D.C., around the Capitol. It's wintertime, and he sees one of his opponents coming from the opposite direction. A, a, a senator from the South who was against, who was supportive of slavery. And so as they, they get closer to one another, one coming one direction, one the other direction, the, the, the sidewalk is so narrow, somebody's going to have to step aside, one of them. And so as they come together and they kind of confront one another, the senator from the south says, looks at him with his arms folded and says, I never step aside for a rat. 
Well, what's Sumner going to say to that? He pauses for a second. He steps aside. I always do. I laughed too when I heard it. I laughed for years every time I thought about it. But think about it now. You've got two individuals who are doing what? They're calling one another rats. That same kind of thing is being displayed in Washington, D.C. right now. Because they don't understand that the law of God is a law full of mercy. And so it's just, you did something, I'm going to get back at you all the more. That just goes on, back and forth, back and forth. And what do we do? We see the government. Because you as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, you know the outcome, don't you? You know that from Revelation 13. But how sad that that is the law, as it were. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back even more. But God's law, law is not like that. It's full of mercy. And praise the Lord, it's full of mercy, right? Because we wouldn't be here if that were not so. So Revelation 14, 12 talks about those people who reflect the character of Jesus Christ. They are individuals who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, we read, and the clock is working against me. I say that all the time, looking for mercy. <laughs> but, interesting. The first part of my sermon, I talked about our affliction, his affliction. And when we're afflicted, God is afflicted. But friends, I want to ask you a question. When God is afflicted, are we afflicted? I believe that those individuals who are described there in the closing hours of earth's history before Jesus returns as keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, that faith of Jesus motivates them to recognize that with sin abounding, God who sends much more grace but is hurting beyond our finite resources to understand completely. And so when I talk about, when we talk about the return of Jesus Christ, and oh, this is happening, that's happening, and they all, they're all from darkness or negatives, are we, are we burdened? God is hoping that he will have a generation of people who are burdened for the vindication of his character. And that's what the gospel is intended to do. It is intended to empower us to be burdened, to be committed to doing our part, to letting our light shine, letting our light shine, not shining our light, but letting our light shine because that light is Jesus Christ through us so that Jesus can be lifted up and all will be drawn to him. So you and I have an opportunity to let that happen so that people are not just seeing the evil the sin the darkness but they are also seeing the results of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives 
You're familiar with that reference, aren't you, that tells us, and I paraphrase, that the cross of Calvary is to our dull senses a reflection of the pain that God has been in from the very inception of sin. In the great book, The Great Controversy, which many of you perhaps are reading now, as I am again, we're told there on page 464 that before the judgments of God are poured out at the end of time, there is going to be a revival of primitive godliness that has not been seen since the time of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Wow. We're also told on page 462 of that wonderful book that in revivals in past, genuine revivals, that men and women prayed and wrestled for the salvation of other people. And I say, when that comes, glory, hallelujah, that people are going to be on fire for Jesus Christ, not watching CNN or Fox or whatever it is, say, oh, isn't that terrible? Look at all that rioting that's going on. Oh, look at this, look at that. Ah, there are people whose hearts are aflame for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they want nothing more than to be used to save souls for the kingdom of heaven. That includes Battle Creek, doesn't it? It includes Boston. It includes the whole world. Shall I mention to you, watch now. Be careful. Shall I mention to you that God's greatest day was that Friday afternoon at Mount Calvary. The light doesn't get any more brilliant than that. Amen? But to the unlooking universe, that was man's darkest hour. To think that our Savior, the Son of God, came from heaven to this earth and we crucified him. Wow. Can you imagine the angels? Can you imagine the unlooking universe saying, how? How can that be? It was our darkest hour. But I believe, I believe that someday soon, perhaps, we will see revealed humankind's greatest hour when despite all the darkness we are ministers for Jesus Christ and are dedicated to him and him alone whatever God demands whatever God requires he supplies you say I, 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 I don't think I can be one of those individuals in fact 
and, and you hear this from time to time, I hope I die before all this world becomes, you know, a war field. I don't want to behave, be around for the time of trouble. Listen, you have the faith of Jesus, right? And the faith of Jesus is other-centered faith. You're not concerned about getting into heaven as much as you are as honoring God and giving him glory through your life. What God requires, God supplies. Amen? It's not us. Jesus said, it's not me that does these things, it's my Father dwelling in me. And so, friends, you and I have an opportunity through our steadfast loyalty and righteousness living and having a burden for other people to reflect that which is described in Revelation 14, 12. Now, if you were to come to my, my house and uh, I live at 29 Turner Street, Norfolk, Mass. Don't you all come at once? <laughs> you would note something, especially if you've got British blood in you, which I do. But there are three streets, one that hooks into my street, whose names are Churchill, second one, Winston, the third one, Spencer. And if you get any kind of British blood in you, you know that whoever developed that neighborhood must have been a fan of Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill. When I was a boy growing up in Canada, he comes at the right time. We're, we got this programmed. When I was a young boy, young lad growing up in Canada, one of my boyhood heroes was Winston Churchill. And uh, that's never left me. I still have a great admiration for that Prime Minister of England, especially World War II, and how he rallied the English people by his speechifying. And uh, when he came to his job, it was dark, 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 dark. Most of the people in England were expecting that Hitler and the forces of darkness and evil were going to invade. And Churchill rallied the English people by his speechifying. You are probably acquainted with some of his famous speeches. Never in the history of the world has been so much owed by so many to so few at the end of the Battle of Britain. But I think it was on June 18, 1840, just a few weeks after he became prime minister, he spoke to his fellow politicians and he said something that has gone down in history as well. He said to them, if the British Empire and its Commonwealth will last for a thousand years, this will be 
its finest hour. I believe with all my heart, my friends, that someday soon, up in heaven, that declaration is going to be made, not for the British people, but for those Christians who endure for his glory and live for him and him alone. That's you. By his grace, that is you. It's all of us, if we so desire. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of that loyalty from us? I think so. How about you? Heavenly Father, thank you for being the kind of God that we've pictured you to be. We've got so much more to learn about that. But I thank you, Lord, that the folk in Battle Creek are interested in reflecting that character through the power and the richness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May the best days for your glory in Battle Creek still be ahead for this congregation. Thank you. In Jesus' name.